Welcome to the Dare Menopause Podcast, where we discuss the menopause transition to help make everyday life a little easier for women. Hey, I'm Sonia Lovell, the host of Dear Menopause. Today, I have invited in a very special guest. We are going to be talking with Mel Burks from the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees about a really concerning topic that isn't spoken about enough, the lost earnings and superannuation for women as a result of menopause and the impact that it has on the longevity of their careers. This is a jam-packed episode full of really vital information, so please listen in and share it with every woman that you know that needs to be aware of this topic. I hope you enjoy listening to Mel and I. Mel, welcome to Dear Menopause. It is so wonderful to have you here today. Thanks for inviting me, Sonia. It is my pleasure. Mel, let's get the ball rolling by you jumping in and so that I don't fluff your title. Tell us who you are and a little bit about why you're here today. So I'm Mel Burks. I'm the General Manager of Advocacy at the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees. And we obviously have a very particular interest in what is affecting retirement decisions and in particular what's affecting women's retirement decisions because as we all know, unfortunately, women retire on substantially less than men. And in fact, men retire on average on 40% more than women. So if something is impacting women and making them leave the workforce earlier, we'd like to understand it because that's obviously going to have an impact on their retirement. Yeah, and that's a huge number, isn't it? 40%. It's it's a massive. And there's lots of reasons why, uh, which are understood. I mean, the gender pay gap, the fact that women take time out of the workforce to have children, but there hasn't really been a focus on what's what's happening at the end of women's careers. And uh, we were really shocked to see that the average age of retirement for an Australian woman is 52.1 years. And then we went, hmm, average age of menopause, 51 something's happening here. So we started to have a little bit of a dig around and say, well, what's what's going on? Because when you actually ask women what age they intend to retire, they say 64. So that's yeah. a big wow. difference between 52 and, and 64. And if you're trying to plan for your financial future, all those additional years not working is going to have a real impact on how much you've got saved, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, when we, we talk so much or there is such a big light um, shone on the, you know, the gender pay gap, the inequity between what men are paid and what women are paid, often for the same role. But that gap, I don't think it's as big as forty percent, is it? Which is what we're talking about in the lost superannuation figures. So that is something we should absolutely be screaming from the rafters about. And you know what you guys are doing, which is so brilliant, is calling out to the federal government to actually take a look into this. So this is one of the areas I'd really like to dive into with you is you obviously recognize that the ABS data, as you've already mentioned, was showing that the average retirement age for women is 52.1. And that, yes, that just beautifully seems to coincide with the average age of menopause being 51. So was that the trigger for you guys to go, "Hmm, okay, let's dig into this. Let's see what what data we can find. So talk through that process a little bit. What, What did you dig into? What data did you have available to you? So we we did have a bit of a look to see what was publicly available. And of course, the first thing we looked for was 
Is there any data on uh, the impact of menopause and perimenopause on women's retirement decisions in Australia? And sadly, no, there is nothing that specific. And in fact, all we could really find was some UK data indicating around 25% of women who experience symptoms, they're so severe that they actually impact their um, ability to work. So we thought, okay, let's go see what other data we can find. And when we went to have a look at that ABS data, so ABS collects statistics on the reasons why people retire. And I think it's it's a, a bit of a common misconception that women retire early because they have caring duties. I think if you mm-hmm. were to talk to people, they'd be like, oh, they've got older parents or they have young children and they're stepping out of the workforce. But what actually the data showed was that, first of all, more than one in four women retire under the age of 55. And of those, nearly half, so 40, 44.9% of those, when they're asked why they've retired, they say because of their own sickness injury or disability. Now, I'm not suggesting that perimenopause and menopause is a sickness, injury or disability, but it is a physical condition and that would be the only category that you could put down to indicate that. Um, And then what it makes even think even more, not just the age that costs 52, 51, there's that, but also if you look at the next age group up, that reason for retiring drops significantly. So we began to say, okay, there's something going on here. Women are leaving the workforce earlier than they intend and what does that what does that mean for their retirement and what impact is that going to have on their retirement savings and therefore their quality of life yeah of course there are many other so- social aspects you're losing women at the peak of their career um, yep. their knowledge their insights all of that is going but of course from a super perspective money talks you know it's like what is what are women losing financially in addition to all those other things and and we need to get more specific data so that we can have an approach that actually helps manage it. Yeah. And that was the other area that I'm really keen to kind of unravel with you a little bit here today is, you know, you, and when I say you, we're talking about the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees have have called on the federal government to measure the menopause impact on women's employment and retirement decisions. What do you hope will be the outcomes from doing that? Well, I think it it's one of those old adages, you can't, if you don't uh, measure it, you can't manage it. So I think it's really getting a grip on how uh, substantial this problem is. And and by putting a dollar figure on it, I think it gets real, real cut through. We can talk a little bit about the dollar impact in a minute, but I think what we really want to do is to get some good data so that the government can take a comprehensive, multi-pronged approach to this issue. So the financial impact is just the consequence of the symptoms not being treated. So really what you want is a is a health and social and employment uh, multi-pronged approach, including education, because I think you would know this as well, Sonia, and your listeners would too. A lot of women don't know what the symptoms are. They can't yeah. recognize what the symptoms are. So there's, there's kind of like, can we get a number on how it's impacting people? Then from there, you start to say, okay, we need to develop a health approach. We need to develop an education approach. We need to have employers on board to understand how they can support women who are going through this, um, this period of their lives. And so for us, the starting point is just getting some data on it. One of the things that, you know, we've seen from um, the information that you've released so far is that you were able to draw on studies that had been done in the UK. Yes. And then you were able to update some of the information earlier this year when you were able to draw on a more recent study that's been released out of the US. But obviously what we really do need that data that is um, those studies that are actually based here in Australia. 
That's exactly right. Specific to Australia and Australian women. So just to give you a sense of the the estimates that we've had today, and they're kind of educated uh, extrapolations from public data. So if we assume that the average, well, we know the average income for a woman in Australia uh, between age of 45 and 54 is about $70,000 a year. If they're retiring, uh, let's say even just, even if they worked as long as men do, so the average age of retirement for men is 59. So let's say they work for another seven years, calculate that. So for an individual woman retiring seven years earlier than she intends to or yep. earlier than a man, that's a foregone wages of over $500,000 and $50,000 in super. So individually, about nearly $600,000 on average per woman. Then, of course, you go look at the size of the population and you say, well, how many women in Australia are in that age group and are potentially um, uh, entering into this this period? So there's about 700,000 women in Australia who are working at the moment who are age 50 to 54. Mm-hmm. And if you say to them, okay, Around 25 to 28% of them could be, in fact, having symptoms so severe that it's um, impacting their ability to work. That adds up to about 200,000 women who right now could be experiencing these symptoms so severely that they're either changing their jobs or dropping out of the workforce entirely. And that would, across our economy, be worth $15 billion in lost earnings and super. That is a phenomenal amount of money that is not being saved by individuals, but also, to be blunt, Taxes aren't being collected on it because women they're dropping out earlier than they intend to. So I think it's it's really critical that it is it's a it's a health and social issue, but it's a really strong financial issue. And unfortunately, because of all those other reasons, Sonia, women are already behind mm-hmm. men in their savings mm-hmm. in this age yeah. group. It's about a fifty thousand dollar difference between the average sort of median balance for a man and a woman aged fifty to fifty four. And if you stop working, well, that situation is obviously not going to get. Any better. Yeah. And then we also know that women have periods of employment where they take gaps out anyway. Mm, yes. So obviously we have time out of the workforce often for women to raise yep. children. They're often the caregivers to aging parents or to other family members. Got that that gender imbalance in the income that gap that we talked about. So women as a rule have got these periods of time where they're mm. not employed, so therefore aren't earning income or super yes. on top of, you know, this early retirement. It's it's really such a, a disparity, isn't it? Well, it's it's a wicked problem, as I say, and there's some systemic issues in there which are yeah. systemic biases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is this this very particular thing we're talking about, a period of a woman's life where every single woman will go through menopause. Yeah. Now, not everybody's going to experience symptoms so severely, but if, it's, if it is one in four women, that is a really large chunk of women who yeah. are who are really essentially being forced to leave the workforce earlier than than they want to and yeah. they can afford to to be yeah. to be quite frank I, I imagine most women who, who I've spoken to I'm sure you have Sonia they would, would have preferred to keep on going, keep on working oh absolutely and you know we're seeing those ripple effects in community you know we all know now that the highest growing portion of the population that are now homeless are women yes. over 55 that's right you know you cannot tell me that Everything that we're talking about here today and that are not linked. That's right. And I, and I think that's exactly right because I think we all instinctively understand it, but that's where the data is really important. We need to get, in order to get real cut through in discussion and advocacy for women in this situation with government, data really helps. Like I think we mm. all get it. Like we all know that that would make sense. Let's get some data that says, okay, we can show that these things are all interacting and it's leading to a poorer outcome for women. And of course, we live longer than men, which is something we 
should be celebrating, not being concerned about. So I think there's a real opportunity for for the government and for, for others to really step up to the plate for this situation and actually get some information. Let's get some education out there and help women understand what their options are as well. I'm sure you've had the conversations and I have, and I've heard women talk about the symptoms can be so amorphous. Do you know what I mean? Like mm, I'm yeah. tired or I'm anxious. And we tend to think, well, it's because I'm busy. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there really needs to be some education so that women themselves can recognize what they're going mm. through, can oh. seek help. And then we can stay working if we want to. Oh, I know. When you know, whenever I'm speaking, whether it's um at a corporate event or whether yes. I'm on a panel or whether I'm in a workplace speaking and 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 you know, you, you start going through all the symptoms and you know how varied mm-hmm. they are and how that how they can mimic other things. And there's always women you can just see the faces of the women in the room having these penny drop moments yes. of these could be connected. And the enormous relief that you are mm. not alone. I think uh because there's, it's been such a taboo topic. Um, I, I feel for our, our mother's generation who just had to suffer in silence. And um, I think we have an obligation to talk about this. <laughs> and I oh, certainly do. Absolutely. Um, because, <laughs> you know, but to be honest, most people are, are, are perfectly fine with it. It's a biological fact. I said you wouldn't be embarrassed talking about breathing or blinking. Well, no, and I know, know. Like, <laughs> breathing or blinking. I love that. Um, but I had um, I had someone you know raise on one of one of the episodes. You know how we would never raise a daughter and not prepare her for her first period. Exactly. Or never prepare her for the fact she was going to have a period and that that yes. was a biological yeah. part of her teenage years. Mm-hmm. Yet we never prepared women for menopause, which is literally just the bookend of that exact exactly. same phase. So I have a list of sense. list of things I didn't learn at school or they didn't teach me at school. And, and menopause <laughs> is that a very is long list? It's quite a long list, but but it certainly is. It's sort of like you have your period and that's it. There was nothing nothing beyond that. And um, mm. I do wonder also that there's a bit of a bias because once you can't have children, apparently you're not useful anymore. So I do think there's a societal issue there as well that we need oh, to Oh, we won't. We won't. I don't no. think we should dive into no. the whole patriarchy and no, no, today. No, no, no. But, but, but there is something there that makes it okay to talk about one but not the other is what I mean. We need to be better at just talking about it. And I think there is a fear amongst women that they will be It'll affect their careers. It'll have a detrimental impact. But really, the more you talk about it, the more open you are, the less less of a problem I'd hope that would become for everyone. Absolutely. I agree with you. So I'm really intrigued to know what response have you had from government? I think it is now in the zeitgeist. Uh, we are seeing uh, more announcements about women's health, uh, including menopause, but we're still not really seeing a specific announcement in relation to getting some data that is specific to Australia. So I'm in, I'm actually encouraged that we're moving in the right direction. Um, and certainly when we spoke, we're speaking to parliamentarians, politicians, there is some interest. We're just really looking for that concrete concrete commitment to actually doing a specific piece of research, which will have a multitude of benefits for for anybody who's looking at um, at menopause as an issue, either either through a health, social, or in our case, financial lens. Yeah, absolutely. And we do, I think it's really important that we do step back and and look at the big picture and Mm -hmm. that, you know, it is, it's very easy sometimes to kind of look at it from just within your bubble. And, you know, for people in my positions, you know, it's very easy to just look at it from a health perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but it really, it is much, much bigger than that. And we do need to look at it from all angles. You know, we need to look broad and we need to look deep and Mm -hmm. we need to ensure that all aspects of women's well-being 
well-being and health, financial well-being as well as, you know, every, it all needs to be considered and we need to be advocating and campaigning and making as much noise as we possibly can to ensure all aspects are taken care of. Absolutely. So what's, what's next? What's our next steps here? Well, I, I mean, I guess we continue, we'll continue to raise awareness. So having conversations with people like yourself, Sonia, helps. And I think for women and others who are listening, have a chat to your local MP. We just we need mm. to get it on the radar in a quite a specific way. So we'll obviously, from a from a retirement uh, income, we'll continue to advocate for the impact it has on on people's retirement incomes. But there is really an opportunity just to start having a broader conversation with those who can influence government, which is your local member of parliament, and, yep. and put it on their list. It's it's not a it's not an unreasonable ask. Um, if you're talking about, as we said, you know, there's 200,000 women who could be directly right now uh, experiencing symptoms so severe that they're actually considering leaving the workforce or changing jobs, or right, or also just experiencing um, taking time out of work, like using up all of their sick leave. There's all of these mm. impacts. So I think. It makes a pretty non-controversial thing, I would think, to say this is something that we just need to understand better, so we can, as a society, have a more comprehensive approach to actually helping women through it. It's a it's a biological fact; it doesn't disappear in six months. It can last up ten years, so it's not a it's not something that's just going to go away overnight. So let's just yeah. get on the front foot and start doing something about yeah, it. Yeah, fantastic, good advice. And I I was um I was lucky enough to have Sally Stegall, who's a mm. member of Parliament, on the podcast, and that was her exact advice as well, which was literally just email them, ring them, stop them in the street. Like, yep. you know, that is that is the best way that we can really just raise the um, the level of awareness around this topic. And I guess what's really quite encouraging about this parliament is there is a lot more women. And there there's is. a lot more women entering that they're in the age group who themselves will be experiencing these things. So I think, I think for the first chance. time ever, we mm. really are seeing an opportunity to have these conversations. And I know, you know, I am hearing reports that the conversation is actually being had a lot more regularly ba- basis, which is great. I'm going to link in the show notes to A, the articles that you guys have been releasing, which is fantastic. Um, I'm also going to link back to the episode that I did with Zali so that if anybody is interested in listening in to, to an MP talk about, you know, her perspective and how she feels that we can get some more work done in that area. Um, for anyone that's listening that would like to um, listen into that, they can go back and listen to that too. Mel, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you're doing this work. It is so great to have such an important body really out there behind an important campaign. All right. Now I'm going to wrap things up by asking you uh, my favorite question to wrap things up with. Mel, what are you listening to, reading or watching right now that is bringing you joy? Uh, I am listening to a terrific podcast called Empire, which is about the, it's a hist- I love history. It's a history podcast where they explore the various empires of the world and the impact that they've had on the world. So it starts Ooh. off with the East India Company and the British in India, and it's made its way through the Ottomans, the Byzantines, the Romans. It's absolutely fabulous. So oh, I highly wow. recommend it. William Dalrymple and Anita Anand, I think it is, and it's called Empire. Love it, love it, love it. That sounds right up my alley. Okay, I am definitely going to look that up and I'm going to link that through in the show notes as well. Good tip. Mel, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Terrific. Thanks very much, Linda. Thank you for listening today. I am so grateful to have these conversations with incredible women and experts. And I'm grateful that you chose to hit play on this episode of Dear Menopause. If you have a minute of time today, please leave a rating or a review. I would love to hear from you because you are my biggest driver 
for doing this work. If this chat went way too fast for you and you want more, head over to stellarwomen.com.au slash podcast for the show notes. And while you're there, take my midlife quiz to see why it feels like midlife is messing with your head. 